I'm going to jump right into the sermon. Welcome to the Fringe Church. Uh, this is a message we've been going through this series of Advent. Uh, and, and Advent is a celebration that the church has been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's part of the church calendar. Uh, you see this oftentimes in a lot more traditional churches. Uh, churches that, that, that do different practices. But I think this is something that we all need to grab a hold of. And what it is, Advent is the first four, uh, first four weeks leading up to Christmas, and it's this anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And that's really, uh, despite what Hollywood tells us, despite what the, you know what I mean, the advertisers tell us and the propaganda on TV, like Christmas is this epic like saga of God becoming a man, coming to the earth, and restoring humanity. And so it's this it's this four-week like epic anticipation and this longing for the Messiah who was to come. Now, the people who were living at the time that Jesus came, they had been waiting thousands of years for this to happen. So this wasn't just like, oh, there's a Black Friday sale. Let's trample each other to death and get a flat screen TV. No, this was like, well, we've been waiting thousands of years and it's finally come, you know? And so this, and all the candles have symbolic meaning. There's four uh, candles, very similar to Hanukkah in, in some ways. Uh, we talked about Hanukkah last week. If you missed that, it'll be up on the podcast. And this, this candle we're going to celebrate today, if somebody has a match or a lighter, I know some of you guys smoke, so it's all good. I ain't judging you. Just light the candle. Doesn't matter who it is. Uh, that's how we get down here. Somebody's got a lighter. Anyways. <laughs> but uh, so the third candle, it represents peace. It represents peace. And so Jesus... Uh, Jesus was called the Prince of Peace, and that's what I want to kind of talk about today. I'm going to keep it brief because we got a lot of presents to wrap. And how many of you guys know part of our outreach is just as important as a sermon? Can we just say amen to that? Right? The point isn't just what happens up here as much as I love to hear Graham sing, and you guys love to hear me shut up, right? <laughs> like what we do as we reach out, it's just as important. It really is. There's no, there's no hierarchy of value here. Uh, I, oftentimes, I think what we do outside this building is more important than what we do inside the building. Not that this isn't important. But yeah, this candle symbolizes peace, peace. And this this world that these people lived in, uh, when Jesus came to the world, it was not a very peaceful world. It was a world, uh, in a lot of ways like ours, it was filled with turmoil. It was filled with uh, political strife, right? Because that doesn't happen anymore. Thank God there's no political strife, right? Uh, it was a place where there was huge differences in socioeconomic status. There was kids who couldn't uh, have something to eat, so they needed a biker to give them a packed lunch, right? Thousands of years ago, stuff was still happening. Very similar in a lot of ways. And so I want to read, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'll have it on the screen because I've, I'm trying to get my act together today. we got a little PowerPoint popping. Graham's going to help us out. If you don't mind going to that next slide, this is the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. A lot of the time we'll read out of the message translation. It's not because I don't speak William Shakespeare, King James. I do. I'm very fluent in it. Uh, I memorize all my Bible verses in King James. But uh, not everybody speaks William Shakespeare, so we like to we like to use the message. And really, if you get into the original uh, text and language of the Greek and Hebrew, sometimes this is a lot closer to the original translation. Anyhow, so this is the story of Jesus coming to the earth. It's the story of everything that's happening uh, leading up to his birth. And let's just read it here. It says, "I'll start, and then you just pick up." Her. <laughs> I'm missing one line. Here we go. Luke chapter two, verse one. It says, "And it came to pass in those days." that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus through all, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius, that's a good name for a kid if you're looking for a, a name for a child, Quirinius was governing Syria. Verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up, yeah, you go ahead, yeah, yeah. 
Joseph also went up, thanks man, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. She was pregnant, basically. Next time you see somebody pregnant, you say, are you with child? She was with child. So it was that, they, that, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So it came time for her to give birth. And she brought forth her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling, swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, and it was told to them. So here's this, this census going on, and, you know, the Caesar is saying, hey, everybody needs to come from all your different, you know, it's very much like a census that we do today. you got to come and register your family. You know, we want to know how many people are living here. And part of that, it wasn't like some good government policy. Like, they wanted to know because they were, they were oppressing these people, and they wanted to take even more money from them. So a very volatile time for them, a very crazy time. Not much different from the world that we live in today. Uh, something really interesting, there's a phrase that, that when they were trying to find a place to live, there was no place for them in the end. Did you guys hear that? No place for them in the end. Uh, those of you that have been around the French for any length of time, you know we deal with a lot of people who are coming out of homelessness, people that are coming off the streets. And I can tell you, like, this is still hard today to find somebody a place to, to, to feel safe, to feel safe. Uh, I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. I've been in that space before where I've lived out of cars and I've lived in a shelter. And that's a hard thing to go through. That's a rough thing to go through. And it says that there was no place for them in the, in the end. There was no room for these Middle Eastern migrants, right? Uh, very different from the world we live in today. And, and as I was reading this, there's this phrase that it says this. It says that, that peace on peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And so that was the announcement when Jesus was coming to the earth is these angels came and they said that there's going to be peace and there's going to be goodwill towards men. That was the proclamation. It wasn't, hey, like we're going to start another religion. You know what I mean? There's going to be all these hoops to jump through and people are going to wear these nice robes. You know what I mean? And, and we're gonna, right? It, it, it was no, like there's going to be peace and there's going to be goodwill towards men. Now, for the people who heard that in first century 
Israel, that would have been a very subversive, shocking thing to say because they were not living in a time that was filled with peace and goodwill. Right? That wasn't happening during the time. And I, post, I posted something on social media this past week, and it was this. From the very beginning, if you don't remember anything I say this morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, little babies, remember this. Like God's posture towards you and towards the world is for peace and for goodwill. Right? From the very beginning, if you take it all the way back to the book of Genesis, before the fall and the doom, dun, 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 right? God created it all and he said it was good. It was good. It was good. So the story does not start with the darkness. The story does not start with the sin and the depravity of humanity. And while we know that's real, some of us have participated in that depravity. I was one of them, right? But God's posture from the very beginning, man, it wasn't just like some overbearing religion. It was peace and goodwill towards men. And, and the interesting thing was, um, a lot of, most translations say peace and goodwill towards all men. All men. Very, very interesting thing to say. Very subversive thing to say. This is God's dream for the world. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. First, the words of the angel. What did they say when they, when they saw the angel? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm kicking it in the field, I'm walking my sheep like I do every day, right? And I can see some angel, like that's going to be a shocking sight. That's going to be a shocking sight. And so they were scared. And so the first thing that the angel said to them was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, which I think is funny. It's kind of ironic. Like, what do you mean, don't be afraid? I'm, I'm out here walking my sheep and you know, the sky opens up. What do you mean by don't be afraid? God's dream on the world, peace and goodwill towards men. And so first the angel says to them, don't be afraid. And, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. Why was he telling them to not be afraid? It wasn't just because of the presence of the angels. Part of it was, hey, we're living in a world that is filled with fear right now. We're living in a world where we're being oppressed by the Roman government, where they got their foot, they got our, their boot on our neck. We're living in a world where we can't barely uh, provide for our families. We're living in a world where there's all this political upheaval, and there's some people who really don't have anything, and they're being taken advantage of and oppressed by the people that are on top. Like, I think that's what he was saying, and, and I think what he was saying and what God's saying us today is, hey, regardless of what CNN and Fox is telling you and all these other news agencies, like the Christian posture towards the world should not be fear. Can I just say that? If we've, connect, if we've truly connected with Jesus, regardless of what we've seen, regardless of what the news tells us and all the doom and gloom and every creeper lurking in the shadows, don't be afraid. The Christian posture is not a posture of fear. It's a posture of peace. And that's one of the ways you know that you're walking with God is you're not living in fear. You're not living in fear. Now, let's be honest. Some of us have different personalities. Some of us have different upbringings. Some of us have gone through stuff that induces fear. There's triggers. There's things that happen because things that have happened to us. I'm not trying to minimize any of that. But God's posture towards us is peace and goodwill. Peace and goodwill. So regardless of the other news that you're hearing, everything's going to be all right. Regardless of what everybody else is telling you. And this isn't to say, hey, let's bury our head in the sand. Those of you guys that have been here a long time, you know, we go into the prisons. We deal with people who've done some of the most heinous stuff you'll ever hear. We've, we see it all. We hear it all. We, we you know, we're, we're, we're around this stuff, but there's no need to fear. No need to fear it. I bring you tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Uh, and the interesting thing was, we've turned this into a Hallmark Christmas card. 
Peace and goodwill towards man. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise ye the Lord. Do you know praise the Lord in the first century would have got you murdered? You know why? Because Caesar, that was one of the main propaganda slogans of Caesar before Jesus ever walked this earth. They would walk around and say Caesar is Lord and Caesar has come with his good news, his evangelium, right? All that same language that they use to describe Jesus, it's subversive language. They're taking the language of the empire and they're flipping it on its head. So if you said Jesus is Lord, it wasn't like a hey, praise the Lord, five, high five in church. It was like, no, dude, this could get your head taken off. It could get your head taken off. And so when those angels announce, hey, man, peace and goodwill towards earth, you know what they're saying? We're bringing a different kind of peace than Rome. This movement that's getting ready to start, it's way different than what you've seen. This is not the peace of Rome through domination and through, through, through overthrowing cities and through taking land. Like, this is a different kind of peace. Happy holidays, right? It wasn't this, this, this hallmark type of thing. This sentence was extremely subversive. It, peace and goodwill towards men. This wasn't a time of peace. This world that they, they were living in was filled with turmoil, and Caesar would, would conquer anybody who opposed him, right? And so the Roman government, the Roman Empire was going around, taking over cities one by one, establishing their little bases, and one of their propaganda slogans was Caesar is Lord, right? That Caesar brings peace, right? And so this was a way of saying there's a different kind of peace. Next, I want to read out of the book of Matthew chapter two. That should be the next slide. Verse 7. It says this Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east. Pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him exactly where the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go find this child, leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word and I'll join you again. I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same child, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to go back to Herod, so they worked out another route left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Hosea had preached. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and his surrounding hills. He determined that age from the information he got from the scholars. That's where Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled. A sound was heard in Ramah. Weeping and much lament. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing all solace, her children gone, dead, and buried. Verse 19, later when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Up, take the child and his mother, and return to Israel. All those out to kill the child are dead. Now I want to go to this picture here. I want to go to this picture here. 
So this is one of the most famous uh, paintings ever done. This was called The Scene of the Massacre of Innocence, and this was done by a Parisian artist. And if you see the picture, this is what this is describing. This is describing what's happening when Herod sent that decree out. Hey, like these dudes lied to me. I want to kill this baby Jesus because he's a threat to my kingdom. Can I just start with that right there? Like Jesus, the way of Jesus oftentimes is a direct threat to certain principalities and powers. You know that? The way of Jesus often goes in conflict to some of our ruling uh, our ruling parts of our world, right? And so this is describing this scene. These people are fleeing. Herod has sent his minions to come and take the kids. And here's this mother, obviously, just petrified. And I'm just going to describe it here the way they describe it in this writing. It says, this is one of the most haunting Bible paintings ever done. The artist does something interesting. He focuses our attention not on the mayhem of what is happening in the background, but on one petrified woman, a mother who knows she's about to lose her child. She envelopes her doomed child, her bare feet, which I don't know why they got cut off. <laughs> I, they were on there. Somebody stole her feet. Anyways, her bare feet revealing how vulnerable they are. There's nowhere to run. She's cornered. Wisely, uh, he doesn't show us the carnage. It's hinted in at the rushing in figures in the background. Again here, if you look on the right, another mother is seen carrying her own children down the stairs to the left, running for their lives. But this artist shows a level of artistic restraint not seen in many depictions of this story. He forces, listen to me, he forces everything to the background in order to draw our attention to the woman's terrified face. That face staring at us. It's almost like when you look at it, that face is staring at you and it's staring at me. It's staring at you, staring at me. It's as if we are one of Herod's angels of death and we have found her. She glares at us in horror. This artist is making us party to the massacre of the innocents. At the birth of Jesus, the heavenly host of angels have promised peace on earth and goodwill to all. But in Herod's slaughter of the infant boys of Bethlehem, we see not peace but evil being unleashed. At Christmas time, we celebrate our belief that the king of the universe has come into the world to wage peace and justice, to bring love and kindness to all. But we forget, listen to this, we forget that the birth of Christ also released a malignant force the unbridled power of empire, the jealous strength of a threatened monarch, met it out upon the most vulnerable of all people. So here you have this picture. You have this clash of these worlds. So again, these angels come. They announce the Prince of Peace is coming. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And how many of you guys know this doesn't look like peace, does it? It doesn't look like peace, does it? And so one of the things that this artist wanted to depict as people look at this painting is he wants you to, yeah, remember the shepherds, remember the angels, but he also wants us to remember the mother and her child on the streets of Bethlehem and remember that the coming of Christ was to set and train a revolution of love and justice that would eventually sweep away all tyrants and free all victims and end all war. This Christmas, remember that the followers of Christ are called not to side with the empire, but to sit with the terrified, to comfort those who mourn, to join the meek and merciful and pure in heart, and to hunger and thirst for righteousness that only Jesus can bring. So again, you have this announcement. There's going to be peace. There's going to be goodwill towards men. And then what happens? All this chaos and mayhem. How many of you guys know that's how life is sometimes, isn't it? Right? Everything seems good. Everything seems calm. Everything seems fine. Sarah and I are like, when's that time coming, right? <laughs> It's been nothing but chaos, right? It could always be worse, so I'm not trying to be woe is me. Uh, but man, we've had some struggles. Oof. Man, a living situation, a bunch of other stuff. We still love each other right now. 
See what good today, you got it? Everybody just turn around and look at it. Oh, you're good. Oh, would you look at that? Fair enough, man. Fair enough. <laughs> She's like, shut up. Okay, so, so again, you see the conflict of these two worlds. You see the announcement of peace, and you see chaos, right? So these two worlds are kind of uh, at odds with each other. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this. It's talking about the prophecy of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I want to share with you this thought. Jesus was given these two titles, and I thought this was very interesting. One of the titles he was given in the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecy, when they talked about when the Messiah comes, they said he would be a man of sorrows. Remember that phrase, a man of sorrows. And, and here in the book of Isaiah, he's described as the prince of peace. He's described as the prince of peace and the man of sorrows. How can you be a man of sorrows and a prince of peace? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I began to study this and dig into this. And it's like even in his titles, Jesus held the balance of both worlds. He held the balance of both worlds that, yes, there are some things in this world that don't make sense. There's some things that I don't have answers for. There's evil out there. There's 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 a lot of places in this world right now that there's not peace. There's not life. There's not, you know what I mean? There's not things as they should be. And there's also this call to breathe the Prince of Peace. There's a sorrow that comes with seeing the world around us when it's not as it should be. And then there's the longing for peace and restoration. For God to make it all right. And I think that's our call as Christians is to hold both, right? Because I don't know about you, but if you don't have your head buried in the sand, there's sometimes you see things in the world that make you sad. There's horrible. I mean, when I, when I heard you talking about those kids and, and this kid wanting to save those lunches because he, God, God save us. If we spend money on buildings and all this hype and all this stuff, when there's kids in our own community who can't even get their own lunch, can we just acknowledge that as a fringe, we'll do everything we can to not participate in that system continuing, right? God save us from that. And so there's a sorrow that comes with when we see the world at the way that it is, but there's also this longing inside us as believers that, man, there's got to be a better way. And I want to tell you this, like that is part of our call is to find those places of war, find those places of loss, find those places of struggle, find those places of sorrow and to be what the scripture calls peacemakers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. What is a peacemaker? I, I love the phrase that the, that the phrase maker is in there because what maker uh, implies, it implies action. It, it impl maker is like a verb. Peace doesn't come just by sitting on our hands. It's not this passive, weak, you know what I mean? A lot of people, when they think about uh, peace, they think about somebody who gets slapped in the face and they don't do anything. That's not, that's not always peace, right? Peace, it, it, peace is aggressive, man. There's times that peace is violent. You know, Jesus, if you think of, even if you think about uh, Martin Luther King and the whole civil rights movement, like those people were fighting for equality. They were fighting for the rights, but they were also fighting for peace. And, and, and peace wasn't them just sitting down. Peace was them marching to the face of their oppressors, right? Jesus did the same thing. He didn't just sit back passively. And so when we think about these places of brokenness, how can we participate with God in putting the world back together? Putting the world back together. You know, I, I was asking myself this as I was studying this. Is peace the absence of conflict? Is peace the absence of war, right? Like, what is your definition? And I'm not saying I, I hold the sole definition of peace, but I don't think peace 
is the absence of conflict because these angels announced this in one of the most conflicting times in human history. Like peace is not the absence of a storm, but it's the ability to fall asleep in a storm. Peace is not the absence of the storm, but it's an ability to fall asleep in a storm. There's a story of Jesus crossing over uh, over the lake, and it says that the storm breaks out and his disciples are freaking out. You know what I mean? Jesus, don't you care? We're all going to die. CNN, Fox told us we're going to die. Help us, help us, you know? No. Jesus wakes up. They wake Jesus up. He said, man, why are you guys so afraid? I, you're with me in the boat. You're going to be just all right. Relax, man. Mellow. Mellow. Some of you guys remember that Cheech and Sean. Don't act. Don't act all holy up in here. Mellow. Right? So Jesus calms the storm, but peace was not the absence of, storm, of the storm. It was the ability for Jesus to fall asleep in the storm. Jesus had peace while the storm was going on. Do you know it's possible for you? And, and I want to challenge you with this this morning. It's possible for you and I to live in peace despite the outward circumstances that we're dealing with. You know why I can tell you that? Because I sat in solitary confinement right after hearing the news that my brother was murdered. I wasn't able to go to the funeral. I didn't know how much time I was going to face in prison. I lost everything, and I deserved this. So I'm not, this isn't some pity party. I lost everything. I was at the lowest point in my life. I had this encounter with Jesus, and I experienced what Scripture calls there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Man, it doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. I'm locked up. They're telling me I'm going to do 45 years in prison. My hero was just killed. And I can't go to the funeral. How can I have peace? There's a peace that is greater than our circumstances. Peace is not the absence of a storm. It's the ability to fall asleep in one. Now, does, does that, don't take that literal. That's a figure. You know, don't, if, you're, if your house is falling apart, don't go home and take a nap when you should go to work, right? That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's this inner deep tranquility and peace that God will give us. Peace, in, and I'm going to wrap up with this thought because we got a lot of stuff to wrap. So it's back there like, you better hurry up. Shut up. <laughs> I know how you think, don't I? And so peace, uh, peace in the, in the original uh, Hebrew language is the word shalom. Some of you guys have heard that. Uh, Shabbat shalom, right? Shalom is this idea of nothing broken, nothing lacking, things being as they should be. When we hear the word peace, it's, it's often uh, translated to be an absence of war or strife. But the Hebrew word shalom, it has a very different meaning. The verb form or the root word is the word shalom. And it's usually used in the context of making restitution. When a person has caused another to become deficient in some way, such as a loss of livestock, it's the responsibility of the person who created the deficiency to restore what has been taken, lost, or stolen. The verb shalom literally means to make whole or complete. So it's this idea of making something whole and complete. And let me just say this, and I'm going to wrap up with this idea. Do you know that all of us, every human being that walks this earth, the person that lives in the mansion, the person that lives in the projects down the street, we have all participated in creating the world we see. None of us are exempt of participating in the world being broken. Can we just admit that? Can we just acknowledge that? I'm not saying you rob people like I did and kidnap people and smoke weed and sold drugs and whatever I did, stealing cars, right? But we all, it's called the human condition. It's, it's this idea of sin. It's this idea of, li of living outside the way that God has designed us to live. We all, can we just admit, we all have, have participated in creating the brokenness of the world. And what is God's peace? What is God's shalom? God's shalom is us taking responsibility for that and saying, you know what? In what ways can I start to put the world back together again? That's the power Jesus gives us. 
He gives us the power and the ability. Yes, you, you've caused brokenness. Yes, you've participated in this. But that brokenness isn't lost. Let me tell you something. Everything that you've gone through, it doesn't have to be a loss. It doesn't have to be a waste. God can redeem it all. And he can take those same parts of you that feel broken and use them to put other people back together again. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If everybody could just close their eyes and bow their head, I'm going to ask Graham to come up. And I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about the world around you, your family, your job, your neighborhood. As you think about those places and parts of our lives, what has been taken? What has been lost? What has been stolen? It is our call to bring restoration wherever we can. And it doesn't matter who took it, who lost it, or who stole it. In our own hearts, what have we lost? What have you lost? What have I lost in my own heart that I need to reclaim? What have we allowed to be taken from us that we need to recapture? In your own heart, in your own mind, what has been stolen? Where do you need to regain peace? What is the storm raging in your life? I come to you today on the authority of who Jesus is, that he wants to bring peace where there's chaos. He wants to bring light where there's darkness. And he wants to use you to put the world back together, to put the world back together. How do we regain peace? In the absence of peace, something has been taken, lost, or stolen. What does it look like to reclaim those things? What has been taken? How can you give back? How can you serve? What is the opposite of something being taken? It's giving, it's serving, it's hospitality. What has been lost in your life, your community, your family, your job, those people you see around you? What have they, what have they lost? What are they missing? How, what is the opposite of that? It's seeking, finding, rescuing. How can you participate in helping them to seek, find, and to be rescued? And lastly, in your own life, your own heart, your own mind, what has been stolen? Some of you, you've been through some stuff, you've done some stuff, and you feel like your innocence has been stolen. You feel like your conscience has been stolen. Your past has been stolen. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is, is making all things new, and he takes what's been stolen, and he gives you something so much greater than what you even lost. And Jesus comes in the place of what has been stolen, and he offers security and stability. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He's come to take our peace, but Jesus says, I come that they may have life and life more abundantly. And so what place are you lacking peace? The Prince of Peace desires to bring wholeness to that area of your life. Where do you see the brokenness around you? The Prince of Peace is calling you to be a peace maker. God, we pray for those who are living in war-torn conflict this morning. We pray for those children in Syria and those children in Afghanistan and those children in Africa who are struggling to find something to eat. God, we pray for every war-torn country right now where there's no peace, there's no food, there's hunger, there's disease. We pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would stir your people up. Help us to stop praying and start acting, Lord. Not that we don't need to pray, but show us 
how to be peacemakers. Give us, give us the courage and guts to reach into those dark places, to reach into those countries, those people's lives that feel disconnected from it all, and show us, God, how to invade the war. Not, not, with, not returning evil with evil, but overcoming evil with good. We pray for those young people down on Front Street who don't have enough to eat, who are, who are hoarding sack lunches because they don't have any food. God, save us from a Christianity that can just turn a deaf ear from that. I pray that you would grieve us. You would move us, God. Show us as a church how we can take action to reach those in our community even more than what we're doing. God, you know this is our heart. This is our heart at the French church is to be peacemakers. It's to take your peace out of this building and into the streets. And God, that takes money, it takes resources, it takes good people to come alongside us that, that have a passion for these things. God, would you bring those things that we lack as a church? Would you bring those people that we need? Would you bring those missing links that we need, God? And would you use us, Lord, not just to build another church, but to start a movement of peace, to start a movement of shalom, that when people look at the French church, yeah, they see a lot of people who have gone through stuff. They see people who have been in prison, people who have been homeless, but not only were they in prison, not only were they homeless, but they have been made whole. They have been made well and everything has been put back together. And God, would you take the brokenness in my life and my heart and my brother and sister's lives and hearts sitting here this morning and would you put us back together and use us to bring peace to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Prince of peace, man. Prince of peace.